open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Thank you so much, worship team. Alexis, Mark, I appreciate you so much. If you are uh, listening online and not here in person, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I hope it's an encouragement to your heart and teaching you who Jesus is and, and how to live in a relationship with him. And if our church can help you further, our mission is to devote ourselves to Jesus and make followers of him. And if we can help you in any way, please reach out, come and join us uh, for a Sunday morning worship. We would love and be honored to host you for that. Our greeters are ready. They're ready to go. We got the coffee. We've got we've got the, the gifts for our first time guests and we have a seat for you. So come and join us anytime. We are here for you. So hopefully you're in Philippians chapter two. If I can get my iPad to cooperate, I will be there with you. Okay, I wasn't just blowing smoke earlier, but when I said this might be the most important message I've ever preached to this flock, this is, this is everything. This is key. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. We're looking full on at his glory. And not only that, but this is the key to having a joy-filled life. That's the whole point of the series we're in, right? To run our race with joy, running our race with joy. And you see the picture of that guy who's running much faster than I would, right? And there's that the bird soaring overhead. It's a real majestic looking logo. Maybe you don't feel that majestic in your walk with Christ. We're kind of stumbling along. But here is the key to that joy-filled life where you can truly be free, fully free from the opinions of people, from the worries of this life, whatever circumstances you're going through, the ups and the downs, to have that continual contentment and all the circumstances of life. But it also tells us there are no shortcuts to finding this joy. Here's how you have it. Here's the model. But there's no shortcuts. Because we are going to look at the beautiful person and example of Jesus. He did not take one shortcut on his way to save us. To make us new. To give us that joy. And so we ourselves want to learn from him, to learn how to have that mindset. And our title for today and the command from Scripture is to have the mindset of Christ. So here we are in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let me read this, and you'll also see it up on the screen if you don't have a hard copy. Let God's word just encourage you and pour over you today and, and draw your heart towards Jesus. Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father what a passage. God did that for me. So what's the context of this amazing passage? And how did we get here? And, and why does it seem like these verses here 
They, they, they clearly fit into the heart of Philippians, but they, they're a little bit different than the rest of Philippians. What's up with that? Well, looking back to last week, thank you, Pastor Dennis, for bringing the word up here with the adults and allowed me to, to pour into the children, our next generation ministry. But he talked from Philippians 2, 1 to 4. That talks about humility and how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. That we should treat others more important than ourselves. We should look out for the needs of others before our own. J-O-Y is how it goes. Jesus first, then others, then me. And believe it or not, that is a secret to joy because the world tells you to do it in complete opposite form. But humility is looking out for others. Now, in small group on Wednesday, we were unpacking this. We were talking through and applying it. And I asked the group a question. I said, so what does humility look like? It's a good example of humility. And I love it. One of our ladies spoke up. She said, I think Jesus is our example of humility. I think what he did for us on the cross, that's, that's the example set before us. And I don't know, maybe, maybe she cheated ahead and looked at verses 5 through 11. Or that's just where God was drawing all of our hearts. How do we show humility towards one another? Look to Jesus, and that's exactly where Paul takes us. He takes us to Jesus. And the reason these verses stand out a little bit is because there are parallels to poetry in these verses. There's literary devices that make us think perhaps this was an early hymn sung by the church. Or at least they memorized the gospel, the truths about Jesus, in a poetic form because that helps your, your mind remember things. They didn't have Spotify to pull up and listen over and over again, and then they get the hang of it 20 times later. They needed a way to kind of remember this now. And so Paul shares that at the heart of his message. He's like, you guys know this. You know this about Jesus, but this is the key to it all. It's not, hey, the secret of joy is learning something in addition to Jesus and his gospel. It's going deeper in. And here's the main point he shares with us that I just read. Joy comes from taking the mindset of Christ. How? First of all, we see that Christ emptied himself of all of his rights. He emptied himself of all of his rights. Did you guys watch the Super Bowl? Did you see any of the commercials? The He Gets Us commercials? Okay, so it's a, it's a multi-million dollar push. In fact, it's estimated they spent about $100 million dollars these, these Christian fundraisers and um, this group behind this movement to get commercials about Jesus in the Super Bowl so that people are thinking about Jesus, thinking about what he's done for us and introducing them to him. So it's, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea to get the name of Jesus in front of people and show he is sympathetic, he's understanding. And the commercials typically kind of focus on an aspect of Jesus, like, Jesus understood what it was to have conflict in the family. He gets us. You know, or Jesus and his family had to run for their lives at some point, like, like some of you have, who have been through immigration. So he gets us. I think that's a good thing. But here's one thing that's missing, and that's why these commercials will fall flat unless believers speak to their friends about Jesus and fill in the gaps. Because it really doesn't matter if Jesus gets us if he's just a human like you and I. Well, there's also commercials with Matthew McConaughey and Will Ferrell. They get us. They're humans too. Why does it matter if Jesus gets us? Who cares? Paul just tells us 
who Jesus is and where he was and what he was doing before time began. He says he existed in the form of God. Morphe is the Greek word for form and existed shows the state he was in. Jesus is originally son of God before he took on human flesh. He existed as God. That was the state he existed in. So the normal day to day, although time hadn't been created yet, but that blows our minds. So just think, who is God the Son day in and day out? He's the form of God. He's God. He's equal with God. So this word to be, to be in the form of God, points us all the way back to Exodus. When God reveals himself for the first time to Moses, he says, how should I introduce you to the people of Israel? Exodus 3.14, God says, I am who I am. I be. You don't know who I am? I'm the God who exists. You're telling me that Jesus, this carpenter of Nazareth, existed as God in eternity past? This is him? Same one? Yes. That's who he is. And he depends on no one or anything. He is completely in control and sovereign. He's on his throne. There are millions upon millions of angels who do his bidding and worship him. He is love. He is holy. God, the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, didn't need anyone. They're complete. So what did Jesus do with all of those privileges and rights as God the Son of the eternity past? He let him go. Now let's be clear. He did not remove his divinity. God can't stop being God. It's an impossibility. So what's going on here? It says, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, so God has a right to his throne room, but that verb for empty, kenosis, uh, means it's empty in one's hands. So all the rights that came with it, the rank, the pomp, the fact that he was in the throne room surrounded by the angels, needing nothing, he set aside the crown and took on the form of a servant. And in case you're wondering, are you sure he didn't remove his divinity? Let's be clear. Let's walk through this. The other teachings of Jesus, John 8, 58. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Same Old Testament term as Yahweh God. Luke 5, 20. Jesus forgives a man his sins. He doesn't say, may the father forgive your sins. He says, I forgive your sins. That's something only God can do. And that's why I ticked off the Pharisees. He's like, hey, that's something only God can do. Yeah. Yeah, you see it? You see it? You saw it. John 10, I am one with the Father. Matthew 14, 33, he received worship. Again, Matthew 28, 9, receives worship. Luke 22, verses 70 to 71, he identifies himself as the Son of God, and that's what gets, gets him sent by the Pharisees as a prisoner to Pilate to be railroaded to the cross. There's no mistaking who he is. Even his enemies know who he's claiming to be. And he laid aside his rights, his divine rights to be worshipped, 
to be adored, to be on the throne above all. And he took on the form of a servant because this is at the heart of serving, at the heart of humility. It's putting ourselves at a disadvantage so that others can have advantage. God has all the advantages and still does. But he willingly laid aside many of those advantages so that we would benefit, so that the Father's will would be done to redeem sinners so that you and I could look him in the face one day, not be distant and apart from God, not be destined to eternal punishment in the lake of fire, but to be one with God. In order to do that, he let go. This is serving. This is our God. He took on the form of a servant. He added a human nature. A servant, you could translate that slave. What king, who has the right to be king, lays aside his rights and stoops down and takes the form of a slave in the kingdom? The lowest people on the bottom of the totem pole. I would never do that. You would never do that. Especially in this world, if you worked hard enough to become the king and, and no one killed you in the process, right? There's a lot of bloodshed in, uh, in kingdoms and royalty and rulers and, and assassinations going on. If you achieve that status, you're not giving it up. There's no way. And yet he was born in the likeness of men. Did you catch that reference back to Genesis 1? Where God made man in his image. We bear resemblance to our creator. We do. It's how God made us. That's what makes us human. We resemble our creator. Doesn't mean we're gods. Little g. No. We resemble our creator. Now what moved the immovable one to take on the likeness of his creation? What caused the timeless one to enter time and space? What caused the independent one to submit himself to the laws of gravity and the limitations of human experience? Why? Because this is how he thinks. It's his mindset. Look closely at the heart of God. He is gentle and lowly and kind and loving. The son will always put the will of the father above his own. The father will always put the good of the son above his own. The spirit, his focus on, on the unity in the Godhead, father and son, and, and bringing people to God. God is outward focused. It's the way he thinks, the way he loves, the way he is. This is our God. But it's not my mindset. It's not yours. We think advantage, advantage, advantage. How can I advantage me? How can I get mine? How many times do we have to hear the word platform in our, in our conversations today? Especially business, social media, everyone's looking to build their platform. You could literally make a living today being an influencer, not doing anything of relevance at all other than just leveraging your followers to buy this brand or, or check this out or go on vacation here. They're building platforms. That's what we do. Because of the sin inside. Look at the Super Bowl, which I said earlier. You got these 30 second commercials about Jesus, and the whole rest of it is just a love feast of pride. 
You deserve this. Come get this. Look at me making that play. Look at us holding this trophy. Look at the halftime show. Look what we can do with our bodies. We're free. We set our future. We built this platform. We're the Grammy winning artists. And then you look at headlines and mass shootings every day, rapes, murders, adultery, greed, immorality. There's 40,000 people reported dead in Turkey because of an earthquake. How's that building going for us? Have we arrived yet? And we never will. We need a savior. We need to empty ourselves of our pride and realize we don't have that heart. But we need it. We need God's love. We've broken his law and we need a savior. That's why he came because he knew you're not getting to me. You can't work your way up. It's the mindset of Christ, not the mindset of man. We worship a God who disadvantaged himself so that we could be his. So we could know joy. And every day that God gives us breath, I have a choice to make. I can die to self and I can live for him. But a follower of Christ has to make that decision the first time. I repent of my pride, God. I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. But that's also how we live every day. Repenting of our pride and trusting in him. Focused on God. Focused on others. So how can I use my advantage for the good of others today? How can I serve? Why is serving so important? Because the only reason we have the gospel is because God served us. And now we're free to walk in his joy and serve others. I can use my job. If you have a job or if you're retired, that's an advantage too. How are you using your advantage for the sake of others? Maybe your finances. You think, well, you know, finances might not be an advantage for me. Well, if I were to compare you and stack you against a lot of people in this world who don't even know where the next meal's coming from, I dare say we have an advantage. How are we using that to serve others? What about your influence? Using your influence to point to yourself or point people to Jesus? How are we using our platform? What about this church? Does this church exist to serve me? How do we serve those who are far from God? We are the most privileged people on the face of the planet because we have Jesus as our prize. He's our trophy. So how are we going to use that to serve others? We have serving needs in our church. Nursery, children, hospitality, caring for those who are physically sick and going through a hard time, who's, who's willing to step up and help them. On March 5th, in two weekends, we have a prospective worship leader and his wife traveling from out of the state to come down and be with us. Lacey is wanting to put together a nice gift basket to give them, and it's a great opportunity for our church to think, hey, how can we roll out the red carpet and love these people? You know, hey, I can get a gift card. Hey, I can buy some breakfast items. See Lacey. She'll give you an opportunity to serve and love these people we don't even know. But it's what God did for us. How can we use our advantage to serve others? Secondly, we see that Jesus picked up his cross. He didn't just like humble himself and step down and, and become a man and that's it. He went all the way to the grave. A punishing death. He descended past the point of slavery, if that's even possible. He died the death on a cross. Now, I know we wear crosses on our necklaces and our jewelry, and it's on the steeples, it's on the walls, so the cross is almost like a cool icon these days. But back then, you got to remember, the cross is 
the most painful, gruesome death. It's disgusting. It's humiliating. It's degrading. That's the whole point. Rome wanted to degrade these criminals and show the world, if you mess with Rome, this is what happens to you. The Corinthians invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it. They perfected the art of suffering. So here you have the perfect Lamb of God, never sinned a day in his life, never once threatened the power structure at Rome. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. My, soldier, my, my army, my spiritual army is not here to fight, but he's a threat. And he gets sentenced to the cross. He came to die. He came for this. As we know, to obey the Father. He's the perfect example of obedience. Why was it important for Jesus to take on the likeness of human flesh? So he could be the perfect Adam. Where Adam failed and sinned and plunged the whole human race into the sin, Jesus was faithful. He obeyed the Father in everything. He said, Lord, your will be done, not mine. <laughs> Even to the extent of the cross. That humiliating way. And you know, with his last breath, Jesus was still thinking about others. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If ever there was a time for Jesus to be a little bit selfish, to preach a sermon against people, it's while he's dying with his last breath and they're mocking him. I would give him a pass on that. But God doesn't work that way. He's perfect and he's humble to the grave. Through the humiliation. And I just want to stop for a second. I want to say thank you, Jesus, for serving me, even in your final breath. So follower of Jesus, is that the kind of pattern that we set with our life? Are we walking humbly in his footsteps? Not perfectly, but with a focus on glorifying God, even with our final breath. Even with what I do for lunch today. God, I... I want to glorify you with every word, with every text, with every social post. It reminds me of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples before his arrest. And there's a group of, of Greeks wanting to see Jesus. Outsiders. You know, the people that kind of get left out of church. Or the people who are um, um, looked at kindly and they're passed over in the religious system. And they come up to the disciples and they say, hey, sir, we would see Jesus. Can we get a look at him? Could we see him? And here's what Jesus says in response to that. He talks to his disciples and he talks about sacrifice and serving. He says this, John 12, 25, whoever loves his life will lose it. You can clutch onto your pride if you want, but you're going to lose it one day. It doesn't last. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's an odd thing to say. Here's some Greeks that they just want to see Jesus. And now he gives them a sermon about serving and sacrifice because he's telling his disciples, I'm not going to be here much longer. You got to get this. If people are going to see me, they're going to see me through you. And if we're proud and if we're holding on to our life and our privilege and our advantage and well, I know Jesus, but I don't really care if you know him. You can go to hell. That's fine. I, I'm taken care of. They will never see him. That's why he has called us to show the world 
his love. Humility. And it's a privilege for us to do that. I'll tell you about a lady I, I learned about recently. Her name was Lilius Trotter. Have you heard of Lilius Trotter? She was an artist, or at least she was supposed to be by human standards. See, she lived in the 1800s. She was the one of, most, one of the most promising artists in her day. It's amazing what she could do. In fact, a man named John Ruskin, who is basically the leading art expert and critic and philosopher in England, he begged her to let him be her mentor. She was a teenage girl, but he saw the potential. You will be as great as Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Caravaggio. People will know your name, and I want to mentor you. So she agreed. She let him mentor her, and she learned how to paint. And, and people were just starting to pick up on her name, and she was getting to be famous. But then she went to a spiritual conference, and she experienced an opportunity to worship Jesus without any distraction. And in that corporate worship service, she gave and responded to a call to obey Christ as a missionary. Said, I, I want to reach people with my life. That is the highest call. So right there in London, she began serving at a hostel for young working girls. And even out of that hostel, she had a heart to reach those working girls who had a reputation because of what they did, she reached out to them and loved them and taught them how to work so they could get off the street and make a living doing something honorable. She started to pour into them. She had such a heart. And then her heart grew to go to North Africa to reach the Africans for Jesus, specifically Muslims who were not friendly to Christians at all. This is literally a call to die. So she went without a missionary board supporting her, without knowing anyone there, she and some of her friends went and she picked up a brush and she drew evangelistic drawings. Before there were gospel tracts, pieces of paper to open, she did colors. She drew in the, the dirt on the ground. She used her ability to point people to Jesus. Meanwhile, John Ruskin, is writing letters to her saying, please stop this. You have such a talent, such a gift. You are wasting it. These drawings that you're sending me, they're not shining like they used to a few years ago when I first took you under my wing. If you keep down this path, you will never achieve the prestige. Your, your paintings will never hang in the walls of the art museum. She had a choice to make, but to her, it was really no choice at all. Here's what she says. To bear the name of Jesus with all that is wrapped up in it, that fragrance, the healing, the power to enter into his eternal purpose is the calling for which it is well worth counting all things as loss. That's why you'll never see her painting in a museum. Or, or maybe there's, there's one or two, but not what could have been. She said, I found my prize, and I willingly lay it all down for Jesus. In fact, Alexis is going to lead us when we close 
in the song, Turn Your Eyes Towards Jesus. Because some woman was reading the journal of Lilius and she was inspired to write a hymn. That's how powerful this woman's journal is. But if you think that just happened in the 1800s, I'm saying, nope, it's time to look around. Just yesterday at the, at the fun run, I'm talking to a student and he's talking about how the Lord is calling him into ministry. And he wants to go and share the gospel. He wants to reach students the way that God reached him. And he's counting the cost. He's got people in his ear saying, that's a waste. You're not going to make money doing that. Do we have eyes to see what God is doing? Do we value service over everything else? Because it's not wealth or success that brings joy. It's leveraging what God has given us so that others can see the glory of Jesus in us. It's that mindset. That's where the joy comes in. So what advantages can you use to show Jesus to others? I mentioned that before, but I'll mention it again. Husbands, do we lord over our wives or do we serve them? Pastors, do we use our title to our advantage or do we use it to serve? Ministry leaders, is this, is this about us or is this about others? April 1st outreach, you could go to the beach, soak up some rays and have a really good morning. Are you willing to set that aside so that other people who are looking for relaxation can find rest in Jesus? We commit all that we have. And when we lay it down, North Sarasota will see Jesus in us. That's why we're here. Third and finally, how do we see this mindset of Christ? He trusted God. He trusted God. Because we're all asking the question, is it really worth it? All this talk about sacrifice, humility, serving? That's rough. That's hard. But I'd call you to remember that our Father is a generous and gracious God. He is so generous. You remember, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he suffered without food or water for 40 days in the wilderness. He would have died if God didn't send angels to minister to him. But this was an important part of his ministry. Before he goes and proclaims the gospel of the kingdom to everyone else, Will he stand firm in obedience to the Father? Perfectly. He won't give in like the first Adam. And what Satan tempts him with, that final temptation out of the three, he takes him up on a mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms and the nations of the earth. Look at what you could have. God doesn't care about you. He's not offering to give you all the kingdoms and all the influence and the power. But Jesus, I will give this to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus had a shortcut to get the glory. And he said no. He trusted the Father. He said, you'll worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then fast forward to when he died on the cross. Philippians 2.9 Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Bestowing. Just like you think of that, that, that fancy old word. Who bestows something? You kind of you think of a king. Bestowing a gift on someone. God the Son humbled himself. And the Father lifts him right back up. And he doesn't just lift him out of the grave. 
Okay, you're back to life again. Woohoo! No. He lifts him even, even higher. He's in his glorified state. And he highly exalts him to the point that the name of Jesus is above every other name. Is it blasphemous for us to say we exist to fully devote ourselves to Jesus? Isn't that taking glory away from God? No. He's the glory of God revealed. It's Jesus. He's the glorious one. He's lifted up. He's on the throne now. And every knee bows to him. Willingly or one day unwillingly. You cannot deny that Jesus is Lord over all. And every tongue will confess. We will have to admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what happens when we do that? Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Jesus. Got to give John Piper some credit for that. That just that came from my mind, but I know he said something similar. So God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Jesus. He's a gracious Father. He's not like, oh, you don't have to give me all the credit. Jesus, get out of the way. Come on. You're just supposed to stoop down and serve. No. No. He's gracious. He's not jealous. If, if he's jealous of anything, it's of our heart. When we run after the world, he says, come to me. I'll give it to you. I'll give you everything in my kingdom. Just come to me. Your joy will be complete. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm with you so far, Pastor. I, I get it. Jesus suffered for me. I should serve others. Humility is important. But I feel like I serve a lot. I sacrifice a lot for other people. My job, my work, my life, my family. And I'm kind of tired of getting the feeling in this world that nice guys always finish last. That's, that's true, isn't it? We feel that sometimes. Why does the nice guys always finish last? When will I get mine? Are there any times where I can stop serving and, and I can just serve myself one day? What about self-care? I'll call it self-care. That makes it seem less selfish, right? You gotta, you gotta you know, do that self-care thing. Here's the thing. Every time we serve, even in the smallest of ways, like giving a cup of cold water to somebody in Jesus' name, the Father notices and the Father rewards. He's not stingy. The only thing that keeps us from the blessings of God is desiring to walk with him and live according to his word because that's where the joy is found. Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, got yeah, a cup of coffee right there, but if it was cold water, Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It gets frustrating when nice guys finish last. But here's the thing. At the end of time, when we're judged according to how we follow Jesus, we're covered by his grace. But reward upon reward will come to those who serve like Jesus. Well, I don't know if it's worth serving at, at, at this thing because no one really notices. I don't know if it really matters if I serve at Living Hope or not because we're such a small church. And, you know, it'll make more sense when there's more people here. When I serve, more people will see it. You guys could be heaping up spiritual rewards for Jesus right now. Diane was doing that this morning. He beat us all here way early and this place was almost set up. Like, what are you trying to cheat me out of some spiritual rewards here? Goodness. He gets it. He gets it. 
God helped me to get it. Even a cup of cold water, even a donut after a race, you do it in Jesus' name, when people see Jesus in you, no one's taking that reward away. Nobody. So get behind me, Satan. Get behind those that think you know better than me. My eyes are on Jesus. And I want to encourage you guys to use the gifts that God's given you. Because Jesus says in the parable of the talents, those who use their gifts at the end of all the days, when we stand before our master, he's not going to say, well done, thou, thou good and talented musician. Well done, you talented preacher. Well done, you extroverted greeter, techie tech person. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because that is the highest compliment anyone could ever give you. When you serve, I see Jesus in you. Thank you. What a gift. What a blessing. Do we trust God? Do we believe that he is for us, not against us? That the hardship of sacrifice and serving is worth it in the end? God is for North Sarasota. He's for the state of Florida, America, Ireland, Malaysia, Australia, Chile. But how are all those places going to hear about the good news of Jesus? Unless we go out and serve in Jesus' name. So it doesn't matter if we're sweeping the floor with a broom, if we're cleaning toilets, preparing coffee, leading a song. Every detail matters to God, and he has a great memory. I bet you and I have forgotten 90% of the things that we've done in Jesus' name over the years of our life. God does not. The rewards will be there. My friend, this morning I want to encourage you. Experience the best and most joy-filled life you can. Look at Jesus. We can experience genuine joy when we genuinely serve others in the name of Jesus. So let that mind be in us. I'm going to ask Mark and Alexis to come up. And I want us to respond with just complete adoration and worship to Jesus. We don't serve because people are watching. We certainly don't serve because of what Pastor Josh said on this one Sunday from the platform, that's not our motivation. It's Jesus. And because he came, we go. Because he stooped down from his throne in heaven, we can stoop and serve others with genuine love, with genuine joy. Because this is the glory of the gospel that we have. As we bow our heads and we close our eyes, church, I want to ask us, do we have that humble perspective and, and love for one another in this church? Can people know we love each other because they see how we treat each other? Are we ready for guests to come in that door? Are, are they going to receive the royal treatment? We might not have a lot of, offer, uh, a lot of offerings for them, but... We have love and sincere kindness and a servant's heart. And that's the kind of church I want to be a part of 20 years from now. I don't want to just get this church going. I want to see it continue till the day Jesus comes back and plant other churches that will go and do the same. 
because we found where the joy is. We found Jesus. Lord, as we sing now, may we turn our eyes towards you. Can't take our eyes off of you. Who is this king that loves us so? Who is the one that stirs the artist? As they paint on the easel. Can never fully capture and grasp the glory of the creator. When we look at that sunset tonight, we know the heartbeat of the God who made it. We know the Savior that gave up his life for us. When we look at the face of that person, we see your creative genius. And God, when we get up in the morning, you are our reason for living. You are our why. Because you gave it all. Humbly, lovingly, we give it all back to you. In Jesus' name.